Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, everybody. This is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 347 of the podcast. It's September 9th, 2019. And our guest today is Brad Parsons. He's the CEO of NEA Baptist which is located in Jonesboro, Arkansas. NEA Baptist is a 228-bed hospital and 140-provider medical group that serves Northeast Arkansas. It's part of the Baptist Memorial Healthcare Corporation. Now, one of the reasons we're talking today is that Brad was one of the three co-authors of a new book titled Creating an Effective Management System, Integrating Policy Deployment, TWI, and CADA. TWI, for those who don't know it, is Training Within Industry, One of his co-authors, Patrick Graup, was a guest back in episode 202 of the podcast talking about this exact topic, training within industry, TWI in healthcare. You can find that by going to leanblog.org slash 202. Kata refers to Toyota Kata, which we've talked about on the podcast. And Brad and I are going to talk about how they integrate these different methods including, uh, it didn't make the subtitle of the book, but process behavior charts or statistical process control. That's something that his other co-author, Skip Stewart, and I have talked about. So you can also find previous episodes with Skip, uh, episode 314 and episode 320. You can find those in the podcast feed or again, leanblog.org slash episode number will um, bring you to the page for each of those episodes. There's a lot to dig into um, after you know, the conversation with Brad, if you haven't heard those other episodes. So in this episode, we're talking about core themes from the book, including Brad's role as the leader of their transformational efforts to implement and continue improving an effective management system, something that's so important for, uh, for many, many reasons. So I hope you enjoy the episode. If you want to learn more um, about the book, if you want to see a link to where you can get it on Amazon. You can go to leanblog.org slash 347. Well, Brad, hi. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I really admire your work and look forward to our conversation today. Well, thank you. I'm I'm really happy uh, to have you here and, and to learn about the work that you've uh, been doing, um, you know, Skip Stewart has, you know, for, for regular listeners might remember uh, my discussions with Skip and, and, and I'm sure his name will come up in, in the conversation as we sort of continue learning about what you're doing and, and talk about your new book. Um, but Brad, I mean, I'll just give you the floor. I always like to let um, guests introduce themselves if you can um, tell the listeners a little bit about you and I, I and I think in particular you know your career path um, for becoming CEO in healthcare. Sure yeah I'm Brad Parsons I've been a healthcare CEO for this is my 10th year as a CEO um, I got about 17 years healthcare operations experience um, did my master's work in healthcare administration and uh, business administration and uh, I've been at NEA Baptist Health System now for the past seven years. I started back in June of 2012. Uh, today, NEA Baptist is a 230-bed hospital. Um, but we started, when I got here, we were in a, a small 88-bed facility. So over the last five years, our organization has 
doubled in size and seen a lot of growth. Um, a lot of that is changing of the organization, but also a, a brand new medical campus, a replacement hospital. And so um, that's a big part of my story and certainly time here over the last seven years. So today I serve as the CEO of NEA Baptist Health System, which is um, our hospital and then a large uh, multi-specialty group practice. So we have about 110 physicians and today about 80 advanced practice providers that uh, practice here at NEA Baptist. And, um, and our, our model really is that of an integrated delivery system. And, and we continue to try to leverage that um, to improve patient care in our region. So that's a little bit about NEA Baptist. So when, when and where and, and how, I guess, you know, did you first get introduced to lean? Yeah, so it's a, it's a really interesting story because I think uh, our lean journey came out of necessity. Um, and, and for me personally, it was certainly a, um, something that I, I was really seeking out because I think in healthcare today, I, I think that we, we talk a lot, a lot about this in our organization that we've undergone a lot of change, but I think healthcare throughout the country is experiencing a great amount of change at a, at a rapid pace. And uh, I think a lot of our healthcare leaders today feel like firefighters, that they're constantly jumping from thing to thing and trying to, you know, put out a fire. And, and really that's a, um, that feeling is really demoralizing. And for me at, at, at a point in time in my career, uh, I was really looking for uh, a different path, a way to create more sustainability in a complex environment such as healthcare. And so um, that predicated really with a, a change of our organization. So the planning and the moving into a, a brand new medical campus, as much fun as that was and as exciting as that is, uh, it created a lot of problems for our organization very quickly. And so our lean journey had already begun, but the fuel for uh, lean uh, for us was out of necessity, out of having processes that we thought were going to work that weren't working, and really trying to understand uh, under the under the pressure of this this has to work and it has to work quickly. Lean really was a life raft in helping us organize the work and how we thought about the work and really having a uh, intentional focus on the process of how to improve the work. And so um, throughout that time, um, Skip Stewart, um, he's the chief improvement officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. He started at Baptist uh, back about the same time and Skip and I hit it off and have been really good friends ever since. Um, and so he was a, a huge, uh, support and help in um, really bringing us the tools and systems that we needed to incorporate to, to build a lean management system at NEA Baptist. So that was back in 2012, and, and we've kind of been working on that ever since. Mm -hmm. So when, when you talk about the necessity, um, what, how much of that was using lean to help support your growth? Um, were, were there, was, was it that? Are there other dimensions of, of that necessity other than, like you said, trying to uh, eliminate some of the firefighting and the problems that come with that? I think the growth was uh, certainly a big piece of it, but it's also, um, you know, we, 
in moving into a new medical campus, you assume that existing processes would work in a new environment. And the other big assumption was sometimes we even, we even uh, recognize and acknowledge that the, pro the existing process wasn't going to work, but we kind of had to, to develop a process um, before we were in the, in the physical space. And so what we learned very quickly was the physical space didn't flow or didn't, uh, didn't uh, work exactly like we thought it was going to work. And so really tapping into the people doing the work, making sure that we had and developed quickly new processes that, that did allow um, the flow of care through our organization, um, lean tools and, and systems really helped us uh, for how to think about that and how to make quick improvements to make sure that, um, you know, patient care was uh, was improving and, and that we were doing really our goals of providing better care and, and, uh, and doing that efficiently as well. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit more, I'd be curious to hear more of your thoughts about the firefighting dynamic and, you know, how, how do you as, as CEO, um, try to set that tone or, you know, firefighting can be really addictive for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, are, are there things that you've done to help um, wean other leaders in the organization off of that firefighting habit? Yeah, I think that's really true. I think that some people do enjoy it. Um, but by and large, I think when we talk, when I talk to employees, um, I think a lot of people are really exhausted with the firefighting of healthcare. And um, I think people are really seeking a, a more uh, sustained operation. And so what we talk about is creating a deep culture of operational excellence, because I think in healthcare, it's unique because you're tapping into, um, you know, really the hearts and minds of people that have uh, aspired their whole lives to be in this profession. And so we, we really, it, I think that's easier for healthcare to kind of sync up with, um, and and so you're really tapping into that desire to to create something great for the patients and families that we serve. And so I think that that really I've had a lot of success in um, talking about that with our team members of let's create something that's sustainable that delivers the kind of care that you that you want to be proud of not just today and tomorrow but next week next month next year and that's really out of uh you know i've said it already a couple times but a focus on the process of how we how we get the outcomes that we desire um and it it also does a couple other things i mean i, I think for leaders middle managers directors um it creates sustainable processes for them personally and professionally as well. Uh, I think that a lot of leaders in healthcare are are on the brink of burnout. A lot of our providers are on the brink of burnout. And um, I think a sustainable system like we're trying to create, we're working hard every day to maintain, is, is part of the solution to that. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about um, the process and, you know, the process of how care is delivered and the process for improving the process, we'll, we'll come back and touch on that um, in a couple of the core themes and topics uh, in the book, um, TWI or training within industry, uh, Kata, or sometimes called Toyota Kata. Um, and, and, and for, for listeners who want to go back, um, skip, 
Stewart, who, we, who we've been talking about, and uh, Brandon Brown, who is an outside coach to the organization. They were my guests a year ago in podcast 314. So if you want to find that, you can go uh, to leanblog.org 314, or you can search in your podcast um, directory. But, but Brad, back to the idea you talk about systems. And you know, the, the title of the book is, uh, again, Creating an Effective Management System. So you know, at a high level, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe the people listening would take for granted that this is important. But how, how do you articulate why it's important to have an effective management system? And, and, and what does, well, maybe let's first talk about the why before the what. Why, how do you explain it to people? Why is it important to focus on this and to create an effective or a more effective management system? Yeah, so the, the, the concept of, of the book, really, one of the key themes is, is, is really the recognition that we are all working in systems. Um, and organizations are an easy way to look at and say, well, there's a management system at work there. I think one of the, the key elements that we, that we want to have a conversation around is, what does your man management system look like? What are the components that uh, you feel like are important in the management system that you have today. And then the, the follow-up question is, is a natural one for us now. It's that, okay, so what would you like to make better about that system? Um, where, where are there real pressure points in your systems today, and how can we work to make that better? Better for our patients and their families, but also better for you as an individual, uh, better for your coworkers, better for uh, the departments that receive your work or the departments that you get work from. Um, and so really having that discussion around um, the systems at play that make up an overall management system. So the first, the first piece is just the acknowledgement that there is a management system at work. And then I think the second piece is, is also, if you, if you focus on the word effective then, it's going back to the conversation we just had, Mark, of creating uh, sustainability uh, in healthcare, and that that can take a lot of different forms. But that's a big topic of conversation in our space: is how can we create sustainability in healthcare? Um, sustainability for cost controls, sustainability for high levels of quality, sustainability in patient experience. Uh, and so we're trying to really engage. So we think effective for our management system looks like the ability to have that deep culture of operational excellence over time. And, and so, um, yeah, so that's an interesting point. You, you, you talk about what, what does, what does effective mean? What does, what does management system mean? Um, one other, I, I guess, challenge I ask you to elaborate on, we talk about creating an effective management system. There, there are existing management practices in any organization and, and you, know, you had existing management approaches when, when you were going down this path. Um, what, what, um, what kind of thought process did you go through in, in determining what parts maybe of the current state existing management system were, were fine or, or something to be reinforced versus adding or, or changing. It wasn't creating something from scratch, but it was, it was trying to sort of modify the existing system that was in place. Can, can you 
can maybe share a little bit more about that thought process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's I think it's critical that we didn't, you know, so in creating an effective management system, uh, a lot of those component parts were there. I think uh, another theme of our of our book is how well do the parts interact? And so true systemic thinking is that the parts have to interact to work for the for the for the whole for the better betterment of the whole. So just because you have the best component part doesn't mean you have the best system. And so um, being able to see where you are and yeah, we didn't. Uh, I mean, we've created now a lot of things from scratch, but those are things that were out of necessity that we needed to have in order uh, to build what we feel like is a sustainable system. So, um, you know, there, and, and all the time, Mark, we continually work to bolt on things or bring awareness to processes and how they interact to get us uh, the necessary outcomes or the outcomes that we, we're looking for. And so that can be leadership development systems. It can, it can be employee safety systems. It can be improvement systems. It can be as simple as HR systems or how we think about hiring and onboarding uh, team members or physicians or uh, advanced care providers. So um, there's lots of different systems at play that, that um, and, and I also believe every organization is gonna be unique and their management system is not gonna look exactly like what, we've, uh, what we continue to develop at NEA Baptist there's nuances uh, in healthcare. There's nuances certainly as as you roll out into um, other sectors and other industries. Um, but I do believe that the concept of the management system is at play in all of those organizations. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say, sort of the the tone of the the book and the approach is not one of saying, "Well, we've got it all figured out. You need to just copy us." It's more a matter of maybe you know learn from us and figure it out on your own? Is that your part of your advice? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a couple things. I mean, one, we, we're able to, to benefit from a lot of uh, great work that's already been done in our space. And Mark, you, you, you're, you're part of that, right? So there's other folks that have, that have put uh, key elements into, into place um, throughout lean and even in lean and healthcare and and we've been able to learn from those and we continue to learn from those and we we continue to try to apply things that we think will fit into our culture and fit into the goals that we have for for our health system and um and and that's how we've built the management system that we have today by by partnering with people that uh have done great works in the space um and and a lot of them are recognized in the book and and we we certainly um, and always take the position that we have not arrived, and I don't think we'll ever arrive. Uh, but we all we are going to work really hard at trying to improve what we do every day. Yeah. Well, and one of those people that you've learned from, and you know, co-author on on this book again, creating an effective management system, uh, Patrick Graup, um was my guest in episode two hundred two. Um, going back in twenty fourteen, so you can find that leanblog.org slash two hundred two. Um, so Brad, you, you complete the trifecta. I've had all of you on the podcast now. Great. I'm, I'm glad to do it. Um, but you mentioned Patrick and he, you mentioned, um, you know, learning from, uh, from, from, from lean, uh, from other organizations, but, um, 
you know, right, right, right off in the book, you know, I think it's interesting that the, the first quote here is from um, the late Dr. Russell Acoff, who um, is really, uh, I think, you know, one, one of the legends in terms of talking about and helping us understand systems thinking. Um, he was, um, you know, I believe, I, if I remember, I mean, I think he's associated with Deming. I'm sure that I've, I've seen video of them together um, talking about systems. Um, but I'm, I'm going to just read the quote, quote real quickly and um, have you um, maybe fill in more of your thoughts, Brad. So um, again, quoting Dr. Acoff, it says, managers fail to diagnose the failures of the fads they adopt. They do not understand them. Most panaceas fail because they are applied anti-systemically. They need not be, but to do otherwise requires an understanding of systems and the ability to think systematically. So I was wondering, you know, if you could share some thoughts and, and, and why start the book, you know, uh, great, great thoughts from Dr. Acoff. Why, why start the book with that? Yeah, great thoughts. And we, and we talk about it a lot. So I think one of the things that we're continually to trying to break down is the siloed mentality of healthcare. And I, I think that we just need to recognize that that is there. Uh, we have as an organization, but uh, as, as the healthcare industry, I think we need to continue to recognize that, you know, think about it. We send folks to school to specialize and they, they're surrounded by their, their uh, peers in, in their profession, but then they're dropped off in a healthcare environment and they immediately have to work next to uh, different people that are trained differently than they are. Um, and so I think that just because we have the best subset of any one thing, the recognition that it's got to work within how, how we do the work at NEA Baptist. And that applies to each and every organization. It has to fit with what you do uh, inside the organization. So. Um, that idea of systemic thinking is a principle that we believe in. Um, we believe in a set of principles uh, that we've adopted. And I, if I can, Mark, I'll share another quote mm-hmm. uh, from, from Bob Miller. Uh, but it's a quote I use a lot, and it talks about several of the things that we've hit on. But the difference between successful and unsuccessful improvement efforts was always in the organization's ability to get past tools, events, and programs and to align a management system with principles. When such alignment took place, ideal behaviors followed and perpetuated a deep culture of operational excellence. So I I pull deep culture of operational excellence and use that a lot as well. I think it touches on Dr. Acoff's quote as well for uh, we've got to align to, uh, to the system and what we think the system is what's the foundation or the bedrock of that system. And for us, in a faith-based organization, uh, in healthcare, it's a set of principles that we believe in, um, that we believe whether the principles are true, whether you believe in them or not, but we try to draw uh, from everything that we use and apply it back to principles at NEA Baptist. And that's really helped us um, get traction with, frontline workers that, that um, have a lot of question about why we're, why we're doing this or that or how this applies. And, you know, and we can say we're doing this because this is systemic thinking. We're doing this as, as we focus on the process or we, we're doing this because this is respect. We, we want to show you respect. So we need your input into how this process works, where it's failing you and how we can make it better. So going back to those principles is really key to 
uh, how we think about uh, our system and systemic thinking overall. So is it, I mean, this is a difficult question. I don't know how I would answer it, but is it possible? How, how would you try to get better at thinking systemically going back to Acoff's quote? Yeah, I, I think the simple answer would be that, that we have to continue to, to focus on our people and connect the dots is something that I say all the time for why we do what we do and, and how we think about the work. And uh, I think, you know, I had, the, I had the privilege of speaking to our orientation class just this morning, and I do that every two weeks. And that's what I talk about. I talk about uh, why, we, why we have a principle-based management system and why it's important to um, think about it systemically. Uh, value, value flows horizontally through our organization. And our patients and their families don't care if they're dealing with the emergency department or the admissions department or the lab or radiology, they know that they came to NEA Baptist to, to, uh, to be taken care of, to have their healthcare needs met. And so we have to get out of the siloed thinking and we, we really have to think about how value flows through our organization. And, and again, I, I just speak to the complexities of healthcare. You know, an average patient will, will interact with as much as many as 40 departments or more during their stay. Yeah. And so uh, if there's any place that we need systemic thinking, it's healthcare. Yeah. So, um, you know, looking at the book and the way the book is structured, um, creating an effective management system, the book begins with purpose. So I guess, you know, my questions for you is why is it important to start not just the book, but to start, you talk about the reasons why we do the work. Why is it important to start with purpose and, and how do you define that purpose um, at NEA Baptist? Yeah, so the book is really purpose, people, and process. We talk a lot about those three things. Um, and purpose is, is connecting to why we do what we do. And again, I, I've, I've mentioned this a little bit, but I'm passionate about this point. I believe healthcare is a calling. I believe most of the people that work in our organization dreamed about being in their profession and dreamed about taking care of patients in the healthcare system. And so the purpose is really connecting to that point for um, all of our uh, colleagues. You know, 2,000 employees at NEA Baptist is who I'm really thinking about when we talk about that purpose. Um, I also say I want our employees, I want every employee to know what our strategy is and why we've outlined that strategy. Um, I think that's important uh, for, for every employee. So we talk about that. And then the next level is how that strategy applies to them and the work that they do. So tapping into the hearts and minds of the care that we're delivering here every day, uh, remembering the gravity of that, and also, um, you know, um, really continually improving that work by having people engaged and empowered to make improvements that matter to them. Mm -hmm. And then in the second part of the book, um, you and your co-authors write about um, how we treat people, which I, I guess is not about treat. Maybe it has double meaning, but um, how how you treat patients. But it's really more about how you treat the people who are treating the patients, or how you treat people who work in different, uh, maybe indirect care parts of the organization. Can can you elaborate? A little bit on on the importance of that of, of of how you treat people and 
where different lean principles um, come into that picture. Yeah, so specifically, I'll go back to the principles that we talk about in, in developing our culture. And so first, we talk about respect and care for all people. Um, it certainly has um, it certainly has meaning when you talk about the patients and the families that we're taking care of. But I, but I also say it, it matters for each other, how we treat each other uh, as colleagues and all trying to deliver uh, care that we're proud of. So respect, humility, um, leading with humility. Um, one that's very important to our organization is empathy, um, having, again, empathy for our patients and, and where, they, where they are and what brought them here. Most people are not excited to be in the healthcare system, um, and most people did not plan to have a healthcare event. And so having the empathy of knowing what those individuals and families are going through, um, also having the empathy for each other um, in Sometimes we have bad process, processes. Sometimes we're handing off things that are going to be problematic um, through the value stream. And then if you have respect, humility, and empathy, uh, you, you can develop trust. And so um, those are the principles that we talk about there that helps build the culture um, that we want. And that's all in how we treat people. So. One of the other applications of that is uh, we mentioned Patrick Gropp. Um, Pat is a dear friend of mine and, and job relations uh, as part of the training within industry subset is a critical piece of how we apply those principles uh, in, in real life, in real life situations and how we train our leaders to really um, to know how we treat each other, how we treat people. Um, we're all, you know, Mark, the other thing that we try to tap into is the standard answer today in, in our country for, you know, if somebody says, well, how are you doing? The standard answer is, well, well I'm so busy. You know, and the busyness is just true of everybody now. We have so many things inside of work and outside of work that are pulling on these individuals that uh, come to work here every day. And so we have to acknowledge the individual and we talk about that through job relations. Uh, and then we have to focus then on the real key elements of the work that we're doing here and, and why it's important to be engaged and why it's important to be all in when you're here. Um, and also recognizing that sometimes that's very difficult uh, based on the busyness around us and the busyness that's pulling on us outside of our you know, work hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that business can be a badge of honor and, and it can also be held up as a barrier for being too busy to improve. Right. Absolutely. And so we try to make space for that as well. More from our guest, Brad Parsons, in just a second. So when you talk about um, respect and humility and empathy, those are really important traits or behaviors. I guess you could look at it different ways. Um, I've talked, I've, I've asked this, this question pops up or I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, um, again, I, I'm not sure how I would answer this, but is it possible for people, um, to become more humble or to become more empathetic? Um, I'm curious if you've, if you, you know, uh, without naming names, seen examples of, of people, leaders kind of evolving and changing some of their approach, or are we sort of, by this point in our careers, we are, we are what we are. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Sure. We, we've, we've seen that people can um, adapt uh, into the cultures that they're in, understanding, if, uh, understanding what's important in that culture. So we believe being upfront and very candid about what we believe it takes to be a leader in our organization and what that looks like. And we have seen uh, leaders adapt. I think one of the things that kind of came out of the book is, you know, a this dichotomy of the way management has looked in our country and in lots of different sectors for years and years and years uh, as kind of top-down, um, what we call command and control environments, uh, which can still be very effective, right? Uh, I mean, there's companies that, that continually do it all the time. We have chosen, and I think healthcare is poised to have kind of a different approach to that. And uh, we think that those cultural enablers and the people aspect, um, which connect closely to purpose, are, is a different approach. And it's more an engaging approach. Because in healthcare, you remember that you've got all these subsets of people that are highly trained, years and years of training in some respects. Um, very passionate about what they do, really got into it for uh, deeper reasons. And, you know, whether it's physicians or nurses, therapists, technicians, all are highly skilled and trained. And, um, and so we, we got we to lay out and say, what does good leadership look like in our organization? And, uh, and have our leaders really adhere to that. And so, yeah, we've got several examples of people that traditionally were what I would call command and control leaders. And, um, you know, some deselect over time uh, and some uh, adapt. And we've seen, you know, and, and one in particular comes to mind, um, kind of a senior leader in the organization that said to me one day, it would be so much easier just to tell them what I need them to do. Um, it is harder to adapt and to do it in a way that's respectful uh, and humble and, and really seeking um, information and asking questions and rather, rather than telling somebody what to do. I think that's going to be more important as we look ahead. I, I think we're in a time where generations change and to be really successful in the future, I think it's going to have to be much more along the lines of seeking input and getting questions, garnering engagement um, rather than just telling people what to do. Yeah, I mean, on on that thought, I mean that that's a tough habit for for people to break and uh, around command and control and and like you said, it, it seems like it would be easier, but the problem is if we give the wrong command, uh, if we're not engaging people, and you know, I've seen in different industries, unfortunately, when you when you create, you end up creating a compliance culture instead of creating a culture of continuous improvement. Even if even if leaders are giving the right commands, we we we. We need to do more than that. Um, seems like we're, we're in agreement uh, around that. Yeah, so, and one other point to that, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. In the compliant culture, I think to be ultimately successful in where we want to go, we've got to tap into 2,000 colleagues and get their ideas and their engagement in the process. And that's, that's way more powerful than, than my team sitting in a room and coming up with some things that we think are going to work. So we take that approach. We, there's a lot to get out of every employee that we have here. Yeah. So um, coming coming back to the book, you know, part three of the book 
um, talks about um, is, is, is the, the headers say how we see the work and how we do work. Is, is that where um, training within industry enters the picture? So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your thoughts on, on that or other methodologies that you use to better see the work and improve how the work is done. Yeah, so I think through how we see the work is really this idea that improving the work is the work. So that's a that's a key element that we continually try to work on. Um, so just like our siloed thinking in healthcare, it's a lot easier if people put want to put improvement work to the side. So we, we're working hard. We're doing the work of caring for our patients, and then we'll try to improve something over here when we have time. And what we're trying to do is, is stop that because I think that, again, that puts it in this different bucket. And improving the work should be very applicable to the work that you're doing every day. That's actually the work that we want to improve. And so it's a different mindset um, that we're trying to instill in how we see the work. Uh, that improving the work is the work. The other thing that I, that I really want to say here is it goes back to this, this dichotomy of management style, but um, um, command and control versus um, really engaging and empowering people in that. And so uh, and I lost my train of thought there, Mark. All right. Do you want to, um, I can go back and do an edit and make a. Yeah, I, I've got it now. I just lost it just for a second. Okay. So, um, let's see. So, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so we're talking about, um, how we see the work, how we do the work. I'll, I'll figure out the right edit if you if you feel like you're back on yeah, track. Yeah, so the, the other key point I wanted to make there was this, this idea of um, implementation versus experimentation. And so really seeing the work as doing experiments to try to improve instead of just implementing a set of things that we think are going to uh, make a difference that really leads to how we do the work. And so the kata thinking pattern is instrumental in this entire management system. It's, it's the nervous system of our management system because it's how we think about the work and this idea and breaking down the constructs of we're not just implementing a set of countermeasures, but we're really experimenting to see which one is going to work. And that is a huge mindset change for people in healthcare. But uh, to me, a, a very critical one that we have to continue to embed in the culture. So this idea of experimenting our way forward is uh, a, a lot of what we talked about. And Kata has helped us do that at all levels of the organization. And is a critical piece of how we think about the work, how we do the work that exists. Lastly, Mark, there's a great tie between CADA and TWI. And so there's a lot of literature and a lot of great research on CADA, um, on Toyota CADA and Rother's work. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of, of elements of TWI out there of, of how JI, JR, and JM really work to improve the work. 
And, and one of the things that we've tried to do in our book, and now there's several others out there as well, but tying or linking those two, how to use Kata in relation to TWI, and, and when those tools and systems come together to really provide something powerful for, for the organization. So that's, that's a big part of how we do the work, uh, relating Kata and TWI together. Yeah. Well, and, and I love the way you, you put that um, implementation versus experimentation. As soon as you said experimentation, yeah, my mind went to the Toyota Kata methodology and that more sort of iterative, um, have a vision, but take one step at a time and experiment your way um, to improvement. I think that that's good thinking, whether it's labeled Kaizen or, or PDSA or heck, even uh, lean startup methodology emphasizes experimentation versus implementation of a, um, of a, of a you know, just blind, stubborn implementation of, of a plan. Um, but I was wondering, can you talk a little bit more, you know, about the, that, that Kata experimentation mindset? I mean, how, how does that affect you um, personally as a CEO? And if you have examples of kind of your own thought process shifting, thought process shifting from let's find something to implement and being certain that it's going to work versus doing an experiment. Yeah, this is something that we really work on a lot and with our leaders, because as leaders, we want to get it right. We want to have the solution and so, and, it, and I still think that that is very true. And, and so um, our A3 process has really helped us uh, put on paper some of those ideas and thoughts and, and really changing the language between we're going to implement these things to saying we're, we, we have this set of hypotheses. Uh, and if we're honest, we know that these aren't all going to be true, but we believe that these will help us uh, experiment our way forward, and, and which one do we want to start working on now? Which one's going to make the biggest impact? And so you can hear in that language that there's several tools that we can grab from, uh, from the Lean Toolkit that can help us prioritize the work based on need. Um, and it's also, we believe that that, that experimentation process uh, is is helpful to engage people along the way. So there's the, there's immediately a link back to our people of of having good catch ball and about asking questions about well yeah well here's what we came up with as leadership what do you think about that what are we missing there are there other things that we need to add to our list here that are going to make a big difference for your department. Hmm. So. Um, I want to also talk about um, one of the other methods that's uh, in the book, um, highlighted even in the subtitle of the book. Again, it's creating an effective management system, integrating policy deployment, TWI, and Kata. Um, and in a lot of ways, I, you know, I've written about policy deployment being kind of a series of long-term experiments um, with, with that plan, do, study, adjust um, mindset. But I was wondering if you could talk about yeah, how, what's your elevator pitch about policy deployment? Um, how do you use that to help get better alignment and uh, and hopefully better results? Uh, policy deployment is is critical to our management system, and so much so that I call it the anchor system to our management system. And so, uh, policy deployment or Hoshin Connery, as it's sometimes known in the lean space. Uh, again, strategy, I had a, it's strategy deployment sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strategy deployment. I mean, 
uh, and it's it's a series of how do we take the big buckets of work, how do we clearly identify those, and how do we cascade those through the organization? Now, that's a huge undertaking, and I tell you, we're five years in, and we're still evolving that every single year uh, and have set times of how we reflect about what's going well with that and what's not going well with that. And Mark, think about this. Here at NEA Baptist, we're also part of a much larger healthcare system, and we're trying to uh, connect that through a policy deployment uh, rollout as well. So um, it's it's exciting work that, that we're doing along those lines. Uh, but policy deployment helps us organize the work and helps us really create priorities for uh, what work should occur and and I think it's hard to say no in healthcare, but in reality, when you when you create these plans and these documents, you're saying yes to a critical few things, and and then you have to, by virtue of that, you have to be able to say no to some other things. Now that doesn't mean that we don't report on other things or we don't keep up with or know where we are uh, on a lot of different measures, but you have to really identify where you want to focus, what's going to make the biggest impact. So this time of year is a unique time for that. Our, our fiscal year is um, it is October 1st through September 30. So this is the time of the year when we're really developing those strategic plans for our entity. Uh, the plans have been, uh, the, the hypothesis have been laid, and now we're in the process of refining the tactical plans and, and really something that's near and dear to my heart is is catch ball with the people that will be taking portions of that uh, of that strategic gap and and really refining and developing how are they going to work and what do they even agree with what the gap is do they even agree with what we have set out to work on and getting their engagement and buy-in for that process not only their engagement and buy-in but their actual ownership of pieces of that strategic gap and so that's what we're in right now at NEA Baptist through the summer months. And um, it's an exciting time for us as we do that, as we look ahead to the new fiscal year and, and all the things we want to accomplish. Yeah. So when you talk about that process of catch ball, um, thinking back to earlier and sort of, you know, what you mentioned about the old command and control approach, wouldn't it just be faster if you just told everyone what the strategy is and what the measures are and what they should be working on? It, it probably would be faster, but it would not be near as effective. And yeah. and so I really, I believe in that. I, I yeah. believe that and we've seen that. Um, and so what we've also seen is we can go much further and, and really we can go faster if we'll spend the time now to engage our team members in what we select and why we select it. And so that catch ball process is is really important to that. And 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 I think that our organization I know our organization has seen dividends because of the time we invest now. I also have leaders that will tell me today that um, it, it's hard work to get it done in advance, but it helps us be more sustainable. Again, that word that I keep using throughout the entire year. So we're we're saying, here's what we think we're going to try to do. Here's when we're going to try to do it. And so then throughout the year, it's not firefighting anymore. It's we already know what we're set out to do. This is what we're improving. Now, in healthcare, do we still get, uh, do, do fires still pop up? Do we still get curveballs? Absolutely. 
every day. But we're able to, through policy deployment, we're able to come back, as soon as we can put out that fire, we're able to come back and say, this is the important work that we need to be doing. And it also, I would, I would tell you there's less fires today because of uh, the time and energy we spend in making sure our plans are solid. Mm, interesting. So that, can, can you maybe share a little bit more of, uh, how, I mean, how does that evolve and iterate throughout the year? You, you, you go through this process of catch ball, um, you, you get alignment, you have a plan, and then things change. Sure. So, yeah, we set out the best, to the best of our knowledge, what the issues are going to be throughout the year. And we put that in our strategic A3s, and we build tactical plans around those A3s. Sometime after the fiscal year starts, so in the fall, um, probably sometime in October, um, we say, all right, the strategic A3s are complete. We're into the year. No, no more changing that document. That becomes a static document. And we move our work really immediately as the year starts and then firmly as we get into the first month into the status A3 document. So the status A3 document allows us the ability to maneuver however we need to throughout the year. Some of the hypotheses that we drew uh, at the beginning of the year in the summer are not going to come to pass. Things are going to happen. Uh, dynamics are going to change. And that's as simple as just kind of highlighting uh, what happened, what do we expect to happen, what actually happened on a status A3 and, and moving on. Um, and, and through the status A3 process, we can pick up things that, that, that we didn't identify. We can pick them up and just bring them to light and say, this is now a key issue and we're going to focus on this and this is how we're going to be measuring it. So I want to uh, touch on uh, a couple other things while we've got time. Um, you know, Skip Stewart and I have talked a lot about process behavior charts. He's uh, put out a lot of uh, great videos on the YouTube channel about the Baptist management system. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on process behavior charts and, and what you've learned or seen um, with, with that methodology? Well, first, Mark, there, I, I would just like to say thank you to your work of Measures of Success. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great book. I think it's very applicable, and I appreciate you being a voice for that. I, I think that we need to, as an industry, we need to be a lot, we need to have that conversation a lot more. So I think your book is a great platform for that. Um, well, thank and, you. And at, at Baptist and in NEA Baptist, we we know that our data can can give us information. I think in healthcare in general, I think we're, we're we're still way more reactive to things than really we should be. And the education in your book and measures of success and some of the work that Skip has done around process behavior charts at least has started the conversation for should we be reacting to this data or or is it is it just noise? And I, I think that's that is also, if we're honest, Mark, it's a it's a difficult conversation, right? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. I because mean, there, there are, there's a lot of habit built into that too. Yeah, habit of of being responsive to this month's data, um, habits of uh, you know having to sometimes it's do an action plan based on what's happened in the last month. 
Um, and so all that that noise is just work for uh, people. And sometimes that's necessary and sometimes we need to be doing that. But other times it's just uh, creating noise. So I think I would say that I, I think there's a lot more to say on this in future uh, topics and future conversations. It's something that we're um, we're passionate about, but something that we are we're just beginning to get uh, traction with people to be able to say, here, here are some normal limits for what my data might be able to show me and whether I'm whether I should be reacting strongly to this information or not. So I, I would love to continue following the story of, of how this plays out um, within NEA Baptist Health System. Having you as the CEO understanding that idea, um, it, I, I think, is, is really powerful of uh, I, I can imagine this cascades down through the organization of, of not demanding a root cause analysis for uh, a minor blip downward in some sort of metric. That's got to end up saving, my hypothesis would be, that is that it ends up saving a lot of time and it, it allows people to focus more on reacting to the right things, reacting when there's a signal, and then more often stepping back and trying to more systematically improve a system in a decidedly non-reactive way, like asking, how do we boost performance of this metric instead of saying, how do we react to last month's data point? I think those are two very different thought processes. I'll, I'll kind of bounce it back over to you. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right there. And I, I think that that's true. What One of the ways that I would try to relate that to our people is is to say, so it's respectful of you and your work to to not respond immediately to this data set, to, to be able to have a conversation and understand, is that just noise or is this, is something really going on there? And, and so again, it's, it's putting it in the context of a principle-based management system that we believe so firmly in. Um, I, I also think a, a great example for healthcare, for all your healthcare listeners out there, to me, patient experience and, and the way we tabulate patient experience scores is a great example of an application for process behavior charts. So what, and because there's so many, there's so many off ramps and potential pitfalls in, in the data sets that we're looking at for patient experience. Um, and yet we're, and yet they're really important, right? The voice of the customer is extremely important. Um, but healthcare organizations all over the country are reacting to, um, to data sets and numbers um, based on all sorts of factors. Yeah, and and that that's a really common dynamic. And I, I've been working. You might be interested. I've been working with a health system as as a coach and a consultant. And and one of the the, the primary goal is some of the patient experience survey questions around: Would you definitely yes recommend the hospital? What's the overall rating? And we plot both of those metrics, either the percentage or the percentile rank, in over an eighteen month period. Both of those are, to use the language of process behavior charts, they are predictable metrics that are fluctuating around an average. And we're, and, and, and I, I, thankfully the people I'm working with already had some exposure to uh, control charts or SPC or whatever you want to call it. And they're, they're actively trying to break that habit of instead of saying, well, last month was below average, last month dropped, find out why not getting caught up in that rat hole and instead stepping back to the more systematic questions of 
how do we improve the patient experience? Let's right. let's let's try to boost the average. Let's look for a meaningful shift in the metric. And and the, the one other thing, and as a consultant, I'm going to try to guard against is make sure we don't implement some things, see a blip upward, and then declare victory off of two data points. I would I would not be able to sleep at night if we did that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, and I, I appreciate. I'm glad to know that you're working in that space because I, it's it's certainly something that I think that we've got a lot of learning to do, specifically around the voice of the customer. Um, and I love how, and you know, then I think I think the voice of the uh, the voice of the process is how Skip puts it. But um, you know, that's that's uh, really understanding the needs of the customer, but also the voice of the process. What our data is showing us through time is really important. Yeah. And then just you know, on this on this um, thought, you know, I brought up process behavior charts. Um, I wasn't fishing for a compliment, but thank you for mentioning the book. I really wanted to bring up um, someone who's a hero of mine and and skips uh, Don Wheeler, um, who's 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 known for, among other books, understanding variation. And okay, I will mention my my book. He wrote the foreword for my book, but I, I was really happy to see on LinkedIn recently some pictures and, and notes about Don Wheeler visiting. Um, there at your site. I was wondering if you could talk about that visit a little bit. Sure. Uh, Skip Stewart invited Dr. Wheeler, who he has worked with for years, uh, to Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And so Dr. Wheeler came and did a two-day seminar for leaders in the Baptist organization. And uh, it was it was incredible to have Dr. Wheeler uh, hear uh, his insight and just his, his way of explaining uh, that Mark, a lot like you, I think we need that voice now more at, more than ever in healthcare to have people that can say, you know, be careful about what you're looking at and, and, and the reactions you're making. Because what we what we forget as leaders in healthcare is is when we we respond to something or we ask for information, it it creates a ripple all the way through the organization of of the work that that entails. And so Sometimes that work is pulling away from other important things that strategically that we need to do. And so um, having Dr. Wheeler here and having our uh, key leaders from around the system hear him in person was was remarkable. It was a it was a great event. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that happened and um, definitely encourage uh, people to check out Dr. Wheeler's work. And, and, and I think we've all. Um, learned so much, so much from him. So um, as we wrap up here, and we've learned a lot from you, Brad, and I appreciate one of the perspectives and experiences you've shared today as, as, as we sort of come to a close here. Um, what advice would you have for other healthcare CEOs? And, and I guess we could frame the problem a couple of ways. One is, what, what advice would you have um, for, for CEOs who are struggling to improve? Or what advice would you have for CEOs who are trying to really engage people in improvement, regardless of which language or methodology we're using around that? Yeah, I think I'll do two things if I can. I mean, my first question, I'll go back to kind of where we started. Um, the question I would pose uh, is, how is your management system working? Again, uh, constructed in a way that it assumes that, and I believe is true that everybody has a management system. You have systems and tools that are at play in your organization um, that help you get the outcomes that you get today. 
identifying the processes around those uh, key systems, how they work, how they interact is key. Um, and again, I, our book, Creating an Effective Management System, is not prescriptive. Um, we, we have a set of countermeasures and a set of tools and subsystems that we believe in firmly. Uh, we think they would apply to other people, but the real question for every leader is, uh, how do you identify the, the key processes that you're depending on to get the outcomes that you're looking for, whatever those are? And then to any leader in, in healthcare today or otherwise, my other comment would just be to, um, to get started. I mean, we, we did not, this, this does not happen overnight. This cannot be built uh, in, a, in a short period of time. So the sooner you get started in one area, wherever that area is, and, and whoever is willing and ready, get started today and build it. And over time, you'll wake up and there's, you've come a lot further than you thought you could. And uh, that's been a, uh, a key piece of our story. And it also is the encouragement to me personally to keep going because we know that, um, and, and, I, and I get, I have leaders now tell me that this is, you know, the real mark is that when leaders use this system, this management system, uh, now regardless of what job they were in. And so I love those stories of leaders say, I'll never, I'll never manage a different way. This is, mm -hmm. this is what I'll do from now on. And, um, that's rewarding to hear, and that's my hope. Well, that's a great thought to end on. Um, Brad, thank you so much. Our, our guest again has been Brad Parsons, the CEO at NEA Baptist Health System. He's one of uh, the three co-authors of uh, a new book. You can you can buy it now. You can. Uh, I'm looking here. Amazon will ship you a copy next day, or you can get the Kindle book right now. Um, it is titled Creating an Effective Management System, Integrating Policy Deployment, TWI, and CADA. And it's co-authored with Skip Stewart and Patrick Grubb. Brad, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of uh, what I'm sure is a busy schedule. And thank you for sharing so much with us here today. Mark, thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.